0: Um, I encounter this about two or three times per month for a lot of patients who show up with infertility and happen to have a history of having to terminate a pregnancy. The truth is, all this guilt and blame is there. Many times, it's coming from a place where they've decided that this is their punishment for Mm -hmm. having had an abortion before.
1: with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, Please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBless.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 17, Will I Ever Have a Child? It's your girl, Jay Blessed. Yes, we're back, we're back, we're back again with another episode of In My Head. I'm so excited to introduce to you my next guest. In, In my head. Dr. Cindy M.P. Duke is an M.D., Ph.D. trained physician scientist who is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and fellowship trained in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Her education background consists of her M.D. from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry, her Ph.D. in microbiology and immunology from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. Her gynecology and obstetrics residency took place at John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, and her fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility was at Yale New Haven Hospital in Connecticut. Dr. Duke was born in Trinidad and Tobago and completed her primary and secondary education on her idyllic home island of Tobago. She has been and continues to be the beneficiary of many outstanding mentors and role models throughout her career. As a result, outside of her clinical work and research, Dr. Duke understands the value of giving back to her community, which she views as the global village. Her clinical and research interests include oncofertility, fertility fertility preservation— investigating the role of the microbiome in reproduction and eliminating disparities in healthcare access and delivery for treatment in fertility. She consistently works well with teams across different medical specialties and disciplines. She has experience in both academic and private medical practice with insight from both the employee and employer perspective. She is the founding physician and medical director of the Nevada Fertility Institute. NFI was founded to provide residents of Las Vegas and its surrounding areas with a local home for world-class fertility care. Dr. Duke serves as an advisor and mentor to other physicians and medical professionals who are pursuing contract negotiations or considering career changes. In my head, fam, Team J, Blast J, birds, put your hands together for Dr. Cindy Duke. Hi, Dr. Cindy. Hi, Jay. Good morning. How are you? I am great. Good blessed morning to you, too. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's the weather like in Vegas right now? It's really
0: sunny. It's hot. It's already... 89 degrees here and it's not even 8 30 a.m. <laughs> Jeez
1: <laughs> I won't even mind that during the winter months <laughs> but it's funny though when I come to Vegas during the winter sometimes it's really cold like I have to walk with a jacket yeah. and I'm thinking okay it's Vegas it's gonna be hot no why <laughs> no yeah
0: it is the temperature swings here
1: it does but do you like living out there
0: I do. I actually like it because the humidity is pretty low, mm-hmm. and so you know, like in terms of hair, your
1: hair doesn't mess up. <laughs> <It's a vanity> <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> we got the hair on lock. My hair's not gonna stay. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Dr. Cindy, <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on In My Head. We have so many things to talk about. Tell us something about you that we would not find online.
0: Mm, I'm an avid gardener. I love to garden. Oh, you got a green thumb. (laughs) I I have a green thumb, and I absolutely love gardening. I like to bake, too, but I haven't baked as often as I'd like, so I still do a lot of gardening, though.
1: They say that gardening is good for your mental health. Do you believe that?
0: I, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, there's something cathartic about putting your hand in soil and earth and just healing that and then watching a plant germinate oh, yeah. and flower and go through its life cycle there's something really
1: Powerful. deeply healing about that yeah I you know what um so I'm gonna have to go get a plant now and see <laughs> 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 okay I,
0: wait, I, I, I am going to the- or something that doesn't need
1: a whole Can, lot I, of can care. I tell you something, though? I had a cactus one time and that shit died, though. No? <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even need to
0: water them. How did you kill a cactus? <laughs> Maybe I would have
1: plastic ones then and just learned to find these. All the plants in my house are plastic, Dr. Cindy. <laughs> so tell me, what's an average day life for you at the Nevada Fertility Institute?
0: Well, let's see, my day typically starts around 5.30 a.m. I wake up, but I don't go into the office until usually 8.30 in the morning, unless I have surgery, then I start at like 7.00. But typically, my mornings are I see my patients who are in cycle, meaning the patients who are doing insemination cycles or in vitro or egg freezing, and I would do ultrasounds on them in the morning because I still do most of my ultrasounds, and wow. then I would do procedures, so insemination. Some women need special procedures to check if their fallopian tubes are open. It's right. called a hysterosalpingogram or a dye test. I do that. I do a specialized water ultrasound, to look for things like fibroids and so forth that might be affecting their periods or their chances of getting or staying pregnant. Um, and then lunchtime, my staff takes lunch. I typically do a working lunch if I actually have a lunch at all. Um, <laughs> wow. And so during my lunch period, I trying to grab something to eat when I can. But otherwise, I'm reviewing laboratory studies on my patients, reviewing semen analyses, because I'm also the laboratory director at my clinic. And so when people do like a semen analysis, et cetera, I'm the one who has to review it and write a report that I then send out to their doctors or for my own patients. And then in the afternoon, we do consultations. So I see all of my new patients in the afternoon starting at 1.30 in the afternoon, and we're seeing new patients. We see our return patients so we can talk about the plan, and that goes until about 5 p.m. weekdays, Mondays and Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I finish up charting. I do whatever else I need to do at work, and then I start working on what I call my extracurriculars, um, which usually I start some in the morning, but I do some in the late evening as well
1: so when do you find time to be on instagram because you're instagram queen right now (laughs) i love seeing your posts on instagram they're so they're so inspirational they're so just like so you i get to to feel your energy and that's how i was drawn to you off instagram so thank (laughs) you so very much for your amazing posts I love it. I'm, I'm an avid follower. Um, please don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, I like. Mean, what's amazing
0: to me about Instagram and social media is how many amazing people I've gotten to meet, like you, through this medium. I mean, i was grown up being a fairly social person, but. I would not have imagined what I'm able to do now in terms of the people I'm reaching and the people I'm talking to simply by posting my thoughts. You know, these yeah. are thoughts that I have. I'm just sharing things that bother me or things that I'm concerned about or similar to what you do in your podcast which I love by thank the way you. and so <laughs> thank it's, you. it's it's amazing and thank you so much I mean I really enjoy Instagram it's been way more positive than I could have imagined I didn't start Instagram when well, I had an Instagram account but I did nothing with it until I opened my clinic and my brother grabbed my phone from my hand and he was like people need to see this and he started posting videos our the clinic's opening and um, it's gone from there.
1: So this is the first and only time we're going to do this, because this is not about him. Who's your brother? <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, so my brother
0: is Winston Duke,
1: and Baco uh, from Black Panther. Bop, 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 bop. Big up everybody from Tobago. Big up yourself. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all the shine he's getting today. Let's move on. <laughs> this, is not, this is not about Winston Duke. You can see him in the Black Panther no. or all his other movies. Uh, but we're talking to Dr. Cindy today. And you are so amazing in your own right. I just read your bio. Wow, wow. You just mentioned <laughs> the ink test. So uh, personal story, I did an ink test uh, in January. And right mm-hmm. after doing that, I just became totally celibate because somehow I felt like, you know what? The way how this test is set up in Clare now, my fallopian tubes, I might just get pregnant. So, <laughs> I- <laughs> so yeah, I, I became celibate. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like not what you should do when you do an ink test you know you you might want to go and try to get impregnosed no 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 the lord said <laughs> <Close> your... <laughs> why do women have to do an ink test let's talk about that well the reason why you have to do
0: it is you know the truth is one of the top reasons for infertility or difficulty getting pregnant has to do with the fallopian tube so about one third of the time when someone is struggling to get pregnant, uh, it has something to do with the fallopian tubes. And so the ink test is actually how we determine whether the tubes are open. You know, typically we're born with two tubes, two fallopian tubes, nice. although not everyone is. And you actually wouldn't know that you weren't born with two fallopian tubes unless someone did an ink test. Wow. If someone's ever had a pelvic infection, like chlamydia, gonorrhea, pelvic inflammatory disease, Those are big risk factors for scarring of the tube, and that can prevent sperm and egg from mating. Um, You know, it's so important that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, actually requires that chlamydia infections be reported because that's part of how they track it. It's actually a public health concern from a human perspective because chlamydia infections can actually lead to infertility which means the population doesn't grow and you know all that good stuff nobody's paying into social security
1: we need your babies okay <laughs> i can't <laughs> so my my test came back great my, my tubes awesome. were, were clear it, it's, it's just weird because a couple of days After like I realized That my body was getting Rid of the dye um, okay. But the reason why I did an Ink test because I was previously married And I did not conceive In my marriage um, okay. And I was dating and I didn't conceive Then I have a 15 year old daughter And so my concern was As I'm getting older I want to be Sure that I can Conceive Uh, naturally. And and so I'm a very proactive type of woman. Um, I applaud that. Thank you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get down to the business. But before we get to the business of between the sheets, right, for couples (laughs) actively seeking to have children, what's the first thing you'd advise them to do?
0: Well, I actually break it down by age, and it's usually by age of the female partner in the relationship. Um, if it's a same-sex female couple, then it's not about age. You just go see a fertility specialist right away because you probably need some help. with sperm. But in terms of a heterosexual couple or couples where there are egg and sperm available within the couple, what I say is if you're under 35 and you guys have been having unprotected sex for a year and you haven't conceived, There is reason to get evaluated, and by evaluation, I mean both people should get evaluated because 50% of the time, it involves something having to do with sperm.
1: Can you say that again? Can you say that again? I want you to say it louder. Yes. 50% of the time.
0: Something having to do with sperm. Okay. 50% of the time, five zero, fifty, 50, half of the time, it involves something going on with the sperm. And, you know, I like to emphasize that because oftentimes the first person who comes in to get checked out is the, is woman. the female partner. Right. It's the woman. She's coming in, and she's stressed out, and, you know, they're already usually very frustrated because it's taken long. You know, unfortunately, the average time for someone to show up to, for evaluation, it's three to four years before wow. they go see a fertility specialist. Even though they've been trying, and for some of them, even though they've been actively trying for one, two years, they've been having unprotected intercourse for decades. Right. <laughs> you know? Wow. And, um, and usually, it involves something with the male partner as well. And so, I like to encourage people, you know, if you get in early, then we can evaluate him. <laughs> Good news is when it comes to male fertility, most things that are going on with sperm, we can reverse it. Why we can't reverse some things with a woman like we can't help you make new eggs because we're born with all the eggs we're ever going to have. With sperm, guys keep making sperm their whole life. If the sperm counts are low, if the sperm aren't behaving right, there's things we can do to change that. Well, we can't do just as much for eggs, and so it's important to bring him in because it takes 90 days, right? 70 to 90, 70 to 90 days to make new sperm. So wow. we need a little bit of lead time. You know, you got to bring him in early so that if we have to change things, we can actually get him on what he needs because it's going to take about three months before we see a benefit.
1: My, my sound engineer, G, is like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing some things today. <laughs> you know what? It's, I, I, so two things I need to touch on. One, oftentimes, it's not only the woman that's coming in to see the doctor for fertility reasons, up. right? But mm-hmm. oftentimes, the woman is the first person that gets shamed and blamed for not ah. being able to procreate. And what Dr. Cindy is saying... Uh, No, (laughs) Uh, no, (laughs) hold your judgment. Like, let's not do that. Um, And another thing is, sperm and men and they can behave when they want to behave and misbehave when they don't want to so why is it that men are not on birth control but they trying to fight for women listen don't make me get upset in this studio yo <laughs> you know, the good news is that people trialing male birth control it's out there male birth
0: control is being trialed it's actually just testosterone just as how they use estrogen for our birth control why has it taken so long to come up with male birth control God alone knows it's it's unfair in many ways actually there's some men out there on birth control and they don't know it (laughs) whoa and they don't know it yes right because a lot of men you know nowadays guys are all into the big Heavy, fit-looking bodies. They want to build stamina. They want to cut real fast, build muscle. And so, a lot of them are taking testosterone because testosterone gives you energy. It gives you libido. It gives you stamina. And unfortunately, the guys a lot they're taking testosterone. That is one of the most common reasons for guys having infertility at my clinic. Wow. They're not making any sperm. Wow. If they show up. Yeah, and their primary care doctor put them on testosterone. Oh, my friend told them about a supplement that they could buy that their energy and would give them rapid results at the gym. And that is what leads to infotility. So, yeah, we have women coming in. She feels guilty. She's deceiving wow. you know, all these pressures. You know, mother-in-law is like, when are you going to give me a grandchild? She's an agent. son is healthy. <laughs> yeah, and then he comes in. He looks healthy. And it's my classic question. Are you any special vitamins or supplements? No, man. No. You know he's sitting there like pushing for the shirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do not lie and to your so- doctor. The hell! <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you say, no and man bursting through his shirt. <laughs> yeah,
0: because exactly, you know he feels good. He's sitting there. He's like, so you know. And as he goes through the list of him, and he's like, Wait a minute, did you see testosterone? What about our blah blah blah? And I was like, That too. Wow. <laughs> that has the same function. Yeah, because once you take testosterone or testosterone-like supplements. Your brain shuts down the testicles. It's like, I'm getting what I need, testicles doesn't have to work. But, of course, the testicles are a factory for two things. They make sperm and they make testosterone. So if they get a message to shut down testosterone production, guess what else they shut down? Sperm production.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. We get in school today. Y'all <laughs> thought this episode was for women. Okay. How about that? <laughs> Dr. Cindy, tell us how does how does diet you just talked about using supplements and stuff that can, mm-hmm. that actually affect uh, the male reproductive system. But how does our diet affect fertility?
0: Well, you know, it's, that's a double-edged food, but our diet affects it in a number of ways, particularly what we call now this modern processed diet, because the truth is a lot of the foods we have have a lot of additives that aren't good for our eggs or our sperm. They're not good for what we call our gametes, particularly eggs, because, again, like I said, I'm going to keep repeating this, we're born with all of our eggs. We don't make new ones. And so certain things are more toxic for them than others, Um, We know now that the more processed food we eat, the more our immune system, our inflammatory system activates, trying to deal with these foreign things, you know, things it's not used to seeing. It's trying to break them down. So it's activating itself to see if it can beat down these additives. And as a result, that inflammatory process worsens our fertility. It worsens our chances for pregnancy, implantation, successful continuation of pregnancy. And so what we recommend now is trying to be more natural, eating more plant-based stuff, you know, eat it organic when you can, meaning being aware of what people are putting in your food, what pesticides they're using, being aware of what your food's stored in, so like plastic, you know, we know now that Plastic has, most plastics have something called BPA that's added to it. Mm. And the BPA actually acts like a hormone in your body. It blocks your own hormone production. Wow. So, you know, we like to emphasize that people go plant-based, go what we call an anti-inflammatory diet when and if you can, especially if you have other diseases like thyroid disease, multiple sclerosis, uh, depression, endometriosis, or pelvic pain. We know those are all inflammatory-based processes. So we really, really encourage going on an anti-inflammatory diet. And it's really easy to Google that um, right. and see what foods are called inflammatory foods and just try to, you know, cut one out at a time. You don't have to do a drastic change. But try to see what it is you're eating the most on that, anti- that inflammatory diet list and then cut that one out first, see how you do
1: Today, I want to try to cover as many things as possible, like abortions and ectopic pregnancies and PCOS and fibroids and women's rights and mm-hmm. women's bodies and men and birth control. And, but, but I want to focus a little bit more right now on maternal mortality, especially oh. in the African-American, Caribbean-American, mm-hmm. co- black community. Um, I did some research recently, and... Um, some astounding numbers, scary numbers. Yeah, Everyone knew Mm -hmm. about the whole Serena Williams, how she had to advocate on her own behalf because she could have almost died from a blood clot in her lungs after giving birth to Olympia. Um, But the difference between Serena Williams and Beyonce to the everyday black woman is that they are Serena Williams and Beyonce and not the everyday yeah. black woman who does not have <laughs> access to some of the best doctors in the world or, or millions of dollars, right? And even having all of that, Serena still had to advocate on her behalf because had she not done so and pushed what she knew of her own health, she could have died. Right. And so, yes, doing my research, I found out that the maternal mortality rate for women of color is astronomically high. I did um, some reading uh, from the Harvard T. Chan School of Public Health. Um, And I want to read something for you and just get your feedback on it. Right. A picture emerges of a public health crisis that has been hiding in plain sight for the last 30 years. Following decades of decline, maternal deaths began to rise in the United States around 1990, a significant departure from the world's other affluent countries. By 2013, rates had more than doubled. The CDC now estimates that 700 to 900 new and expected mothers die in the U.S. each year and an additional 500,000 women experience life-threatening postpartum complications. More than half of these deaths and near deaths are from preventable causes, and a disproportionate number of the women suffering are black. What that's a, all true. <laughs> I read another research piece that said, uh, put simply, for black women, far more than white women, giving birth can amount to a death sentence. Mm. African-American women are three to four times more likely to die during or after delivery than are white women. According to the World Health Organization, their odds of surviving childbirth are comparable to those of women in countries such as Mexico and Uzbekistan, where significant proportions of the population live in poverty. Mm -hmm. The chance of death is one in 2,500 for black women in the U.K., According to the yep. UK Confidential Inquiry into Maternal Deaths, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, so, <laughs> so, scary. Dr. Cindy, we are here where we're going to a fertility doctor. We'll be jumping around a bit on this topic because there's so much to talk about. But I'm going to a fertility doctor just to, you know, make sure that I can concede, that my pregnancy is going well, mm-hmm. that, you know— All is well for the 40 weeks, fingers crossed, that I have this, you know, fetus in in my womb. And then I'm about to go into delivery and I could lose this child or Mm -hmm. I can lose my life. Why is that a very, very scary but realistic and daily fear for many black women? Yeah, it's a fear, and it's a valid fear, because the numbers do support the
0: reality. And the reality, I think, is because of what I call a multi-pronged issue. So the issues range from prejudices amongst the medical providers. Uh, part of it is lack of representation amongst medical providers, of meaning having— re- Doctors who look <laughs> right. like the patients, right. who understand those patients' backgrounds. Uh, the flip side of that is there's also a lot of mistrust, um, understandably given the history amongst people of color, particularly black women, or the medical healthcare system, yes. which means they're also less likely to share a lot of their own health history without being prodded. You know, you'd hear doctors say, She didn't tell me this. Well, you also have to know what to ask. But also, patients they get very skeptical about. Well, why is this person asking me this? There's fear of judgment, right? So, black women we tend to be a little bit bigger in size in every way, in terms of body build and our size and weight, et cetera. But with that, you can have a safe pregnancy if someone is conscious enough at the beginning of your pregnancy to counsel you, assess you appropriately to no risk factors. right? like in Serena's case, Serena had a history of both thoughts. That should have been front and center
1: right.
0: on her health team's mind when she started complaining. That right. should have been like, ooh, number one. In Beyonce's case, preeclampsia, one of the number one causes of health issues in moms, particularly when you're pregnant, with two or more babies. And so I think what these all highlight is there's a certain level of prejudice that leads to a discounting of complaints, but also a discounting of even acquiring a health history thoroughly on our patients. And I know for me, when I see a patient of color, I treat, I use, I call it cultural competence wow, among I medical love that. providers.
1: Cultural competence. What does that mean yeah. for you, Dr. Cindy? So, <laughs> cultural competence means having an
0: understanding of your patient population, the, the diversity of your patient population. Understanding their cultural belief systems, their mm-hmm. behaviors, their For example, you know, I have patients who come from certain parts of the world where I know, for example, it's not uncommon for cousins to marry. It's part of their cultural system. And so when I meet them, I'm assessing for those histories. I'm assessing without judgment, of course, because there's two ways to assess things in a culturally competent way versus a judgmental way. And some of these involve just having universal broad patterns, because the truth is, I want to clarify here, because yes, there's people from certain parts of the world who marry cousins. It also happens right here in the United States in certain regions. (laughs) Wow. And so... It's called developing universal competencies. So instead of asking certain patients if they smoke, ask everyone, do you smoke? And counsel on the effects of smoking. Ask everyone about what we call consanguinity, meaning being genetically related, i.e., cousins or maybe even siblings, but being consistent in your questioning and your assessment being consistent in your assessment of blood pressure you know i unfortunately see some patients told your blood pressure yeah you know i think it's okay for you and you're like what does that mean okay for her is that what we consider a normal blood pressure and if it's not let's counsel this woman every woman who presents wants a healthy pregnancy she wants a healthy take-home baby right And I think that's what we need to remember and to apply cultural competence to it. You know, in all these studies, the other study that hasn't really come out publicly, but it's well known, is that if you take women of color who are immigrants, right, and you compare their birthing experience and the weight of their babies that are born to the women, what we call their peers in their home country, the women in the home country do better. Wow. So there's some other institutional factors affecting what happens when they're in the United States. Wow. And there are more and more studies that suggest it's what we call institutional racism, meaning certain prejudices that are built into the system that, unfortunately, is kind of hard to break. You know why? Most people who become physicians, when we swear that oath, that Hippocratic Oath, we truly believe we're incapable of bias, right? I'm here to heal. I'm incapable of bias. And so as a result, it's really hard to change mindsets and change behaviors if people aren't willing to admit that, that there are... may be some biases right. present.
1: I appreciate and I think you. Really I I appreciate you for being so candid and so open as one of the country's leading physicians in fertility. I, I, I give you, you know, your your due. But the fact that you're even being so honest about about prejudice and biases in the medical field. Okay. Especially when it comes to the care of black and brown people. And so mm-hmm. I was reading uh the same article that I saw on Harvard.edu. Um there was this is it epidemiologist? Is that how yes. you... Right? Her name was Shallon Irvin. I don't know if you heard about this. She was 36 years old, mm-hmm. an epidemiologist at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Mm-hmm. And she had a pregnancy that was risky. She had a history of high blood pressure and clotting. Mm-hmm. And she gave birth to her baby, Solil, at, through C-section and died a couple of days later. The hospital um, let her go home, discharged her about two days after giving birth via C-section. Yikes. <laughs> which is normally typically three to four. I had a C-section. My daughter is yes. 15. I, I developed preeclampsia. Um, I was in labor for 30 hours. There's no way they're letting me go home in two days. This 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 yeah, is no. a doctor. That's so a what? How how could this have happened? How could they have allowed her to go home, knowing her history, knowing that she just I gave birth you. through C section? Yeah. I, I,
0: is this the one where the husband has been? Um, he's talked to Congress. Is this that case? I'm not familiar with the last name, but I know I'm familiar with the case. I can comment on this. I can mean, I can comment from both sides. Right. Uh, yes. At first listen, this does not sound as what we call standard of care, which is typically a C-section patient goes home on day three or day four following their surgery if they're doing well. Right. Um, so to hear that someone went home on the second day, yes, my spidey senses are flaring. Um, but my follow-up question to that would be. Quite one of the circumstances. So I have certainly been in circumstances where my patients insist on going home early. Uh, they don't like the hospital. They didn't even want to be there. Sometimes they have planned a home birth, and so they really. But I, I want to tell them I mean, it's okay if the birth plan changes. You right. shouldn't feel guilty. The goal is a healthy safe yes. baby and delivery, because. We've, you know, because of the issues of surrounding maternal mortality, a lot of people are now death set. Sorry for use of that word, but really set on the idea of not delivering in a hospital. Yet, outside of the hospital, certain deliveries are really not safe for certain patients. Right, it's not safe. Right, and so there's some patients who, however, they end up at the hospital. And now the whole birth plan, they feel like that was not my intent. This is not how I envisioned this. And so it's really up to the patient to understand that, you know what, I shouldn't feel guilty right. about delivering at a hospital, but also to be honest about how they're feeling. So ignore the social media for a minute. Ignore the pressures you're hearing from people who suggest that you're weak for getting a C-section, you must not have been strong enough to push out, and then focus now on your healing. So I've seen those patients where I've had to have the long talk with them and really try to explain why going home right now is not a good idea. I've had patients insist on signing what's called, um, you know, what we call AMA, Leaving Against Medical Advice. And so that could be one key. We've also seen it where patients, they've had multiple C-sections before and they've gone home before time. So doctors are like, okay, I'm willing to send you home on day two because you had a normal, uncomplicated pregnancy course, pregnancy delivery. or was a scheduled C-section. Mm-hmm. Baby's doing well. You've done this before. You can go home. But so if indeed this case that you're describing is someone who was delivering her first child via C-section, or at least having her first C-section, and if the C-section were for emergency reasons, then, yeah, I do not understand how she went home in two days.
1: Um, we need to advocate a lot more on our behalf to our doctors. Yes. Black women, yes. black men. I th- it's essential that you go into your your, your visits with a list of questions. Write it down. Yes. Your doctor is there to answer all of your questions. And if you have a doctor that does not want to answer your questions, find another goddamn doctor.
0: Find another one. I agree. I emphasize that. I, I encourage my patients to bring in their questions. And I sit there patiently. If your doctor is dismissing you, if they're making fun of your list, then that is not the doctor for you. I'm not sure that's the doctor for anyone. But right. It's definitely not the doctor for you. Right. Um, your doctor should encourage you bringing in your questions. She really love that you're advocating for self and you're informing and educating yourself right. about your care. If your doctor is not encouraging that and fostering that in you, then perhaps this relationship needs to end. And I know that's not. As easy because for some people you're insured with tapes, who you see. For some people, particularly in rural communities or urban centers where there aren't that many doctors, choice isn't there. Right. But if you have choice, then please use it. Advocate for yourself for leaving. And if you don't have choice, then have a frank conversation with your doctor. Tell them right. how you're feeling. Say, talk. I feel like you're not hearing me, and right. I'm concerned. Where have we gone wrong here? I like having this doctor-patient relationship, but I worry that you're not hearing me. Call them to arms. You know, just jolt them out of whatever norm they're in. Jolt
1: them out. I appreciate that. The same goes to your therapist. Now, I always tell people that having a therapist is like dating. You know, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta try them out until you find a fit. And, and that's real. Yeah. And and you, your doctor's it's taking true. time out of their day to have... Your your insurance is paying for your doctor to come in this room right now to see you. Do <laughs> not leave that room yeah. unsure of certain things your doctor said with questions unanswered. This is your time to ask, and be very honest with your doctor. Please, we stress that. And if I can add, that's also very prevalent among immigrants, right? Because right.
0: many of us come from societies... We're not used to talking to the doctor. The societies where the
1: doctor tells you what's going on and then you leave. You don't get to ask the doctor, and you question. don't question them. On why is this? Why why do you want me to do this? Why should I take this medication? Mm-hmm. We feel like we shouldn't question our doctor because they are the overall authority. But yes, you should question them. I okay, agree. well, is it, is there another alternative to this? I maybe I don't want to take this, or maybe I don't want to take something that is a high level of this. So what what else can I use? What else can I take? You, yeah. And what are side effects? You know, yes. like I have patients who are pilots and so for example when it comes to
0: pilots right they cannot be on anything that can even cause their memory or anything to get fogged for even 10 minutes wow. <laughs> and so when they talk to you they're asking about medications and side effects and they want the details and of course I understand. Now, even if there weren't pilots, I explained to my patients for that very reason, because you deserve to know, because what I may consider a minor side effect is a big one for you, right. and your life, your function, your children. We need to know. Your job. Yes. Yeah. So we need to tell you so you can decide if this is right for you, and then you can weigh the risks and benefits for yourself.
1: Dr Cindy, fibroids is a major issue for a lot of black women mm-hmm. and um i I want you to just talk about that a bit um and p c o s and and just full disclosure i know there i i I put up a question the other day um before you we did this recording and Just asking some of my listeners and friends and fam on social media, you know, questions they had about, like, fertility. And Mm -hmm. my heart goes out to women that I know and don't that have tried to carry and have lost babies and the men in their lives who also deal with that loss as well. And Mm -hmm. we oftentimes forget that it's not just the mother alone that's dealing with this trauma, the loss of a child, um, it's also the dad, you know, and it's yeah. also the family. And maybe there was a sibling really excited. So now you have to explain to that child, you're not going to have that little brother or little sister anymore, or that child was born and then passed away. It's just, there's so many things to cover in this subject. But talking about fibroids, a lot of women, and it seems to be like predominantly in Black, black women. women.
0: Yes. Why? So, nine out of ten women, nine out of ten women of African heritage will have fibroids. Wow! So first, yeah, 90%. So, the first thing I like to tell people is not everyone with fibroids would even know they have fibroids, right? And. I like to say that because, you know, sometimes you'd be in conversation and your friend would be like, oh, something must be wrong with you. I don't know five words. No, you haven't been diagnosed because maybe you haven't presented with specific symptoms that led a doctor to finding it. But a nine out of ten of us are growing them, right? When they become problematic, it has to do with where they're growing and how large they can get and so for some women symptoms can be as simple as difficulty within a court. you know you're having sex and you feel cold during that that could be because of fibroids grown and so that's something that can affect intimacy in a relationship even if you're not trying to conceive other women it actually can lead to heavy periods and so they're bleeding a lot they're anemic which means they're tired they can't really function they just can't live their lives the way they want because they're low on energy because they're low on blood from bleeding so heavily in their period from their fibroids. Wow. And then, of course, they can lead to f- issues of fertility, especially miscarriage. And that is a grief that is so hard to explain because for some women, it's miscarriage, meaning it's happening in the first trimester or the second trimester. And for others, it's even worse it's the preterm delivery of the viable or near viable baby, meaning a baby that would have otherwise survived, but you know, miscarried so to speak, because the uterus ran out of room. Because a fibroid growing in your uterine cavity, just imagine being in an apartment. The apartment size isn't changing, but the tenant is growing. Mm-hmm. But as the tenant is growing, the walls are coming in on the tenant, which is what a fibroid does. Because it also grows in pregnancy. And so the baby's getting bigger but the room's not able to hold it. And that can lead to preterm delivery. And babies being born so early that they have a lot of issues. They're either in the hospital very long after delivery for months because they're born so early. Or like you described, this dies you know shortly thereafter and it's just heartbreaking all around and i'm glad you mentioned the death because for men you know especially in these roles we feel like we have to be the strong one but they're also hurting inside and so it's really important that we recognize that and treat their grief as well acknowledge their grief yeah.
1: as well wow i did not so ask you dr heartbreak. cindy do you have children I do not have children. Is, is that I a... have some frozen eggs. <laughs> she got frozen eggs. I love it. <laughs> when the fertility doctor drops some fertility jokes. <laughs> is this a personal choice to not have children? Uh, it's a personal choice at this point. So
0: for me, I, I am one of those people who focus on career focused on family. You know, when we immigrated to the United States, it was just me, my brother, my mom. And so I recognized that on my plate, there was only so much I could put at the same time, right. including going off to medical school and training and all of that. I was, you know, my brother's primary breadwinner <laughs> from the time he was 14 through wow. uh, the end of high school. Wow. So for me, it wasn't the right time. For me, um, I'm not advocating that people should follow this model, but I also know that a lot of women of color and Black women do the same thing, and so. You know, many of us arrive on the decision to become a parent around age 40. So the times are really uh,
1: changing, though, Dr. Cindy, because our our parents and our great grandparents were having children in their teens and 20s, right? Teens and 20s. And now a lot of us are waiting until we're 35 and 40, even in mid 40s, -hmm. close to 50 now, to have children. You made a very valid point. You said you've frozen your eggs. Let's talk about that for the average woman. (laughs) No, seriously. Because there are a lot of young women right now who are very career-focused, right? And they want yeah. to know their options. And and yeah. so how do they go about freezing their eggs? How expensive is this process? Because a lot of women probably wish they could, but they oftentimes mm-hmm. think, this is too expensive, I yeah. can't afford it. The way I like to
0: break it down is, I want to tell people, first of all, what's really nice is unlike our mom and grandmothers' generation, we have a way now to disconnect our eggs and our age. So back then, if they didn't have children in a certain time frame, that was it. They, the eggs were gone. going, there was no way to freeze them, store them. You either had them or you didn't, and then you were either adopted, et cetera. Nowadays, as of 2013, egg freezing is considered standard of care in the United States. It wow. was standard of care in Italy and Spain well before that. But it became standard of care, meaning it's an approved process in the United States as of 2013. And what that means is you can go in and freeze your eggs for no reason. You don't need a reason. You don't need a medical reason. decide I want to freeze my eggs. you can just what we call electively freeze your eggs. now the thing about egg freezing though that most people don't know is that the older you are when you freeze your eggs the more you need to freeze and that's simply because we happen to know again like I said earlier we're born with all of our eggs and as a woman agent her eggs are also aging as a matter of fact and this is going to blow some people's minds your eggs are about four months older than you are. What? <laughs> yes. What? Your eggs are formed when you're 20 weeks old in your mom's uterus. When you're in the womb, 20 weeks old is when your ovaries and eggs fully formed. Yo, I and feel so, like I'm in a yeah, sci-fi
1: you're... movie right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Your eggs are older than
1: you are. Wow. That's some weird <laughs> shit, Doctor <laughs> Cindy. <laughs> Doctor Cindy, I, we talked about freezing eggs. Uh, let's talk a little bit about in vitro. Uh, and so yeah. again, these processes people often think are so expensive. They're they're mm-hmm. things that white people do, rich people yeah. do. Black people don't do that. Let's 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 break that myth. So there are a number of movements which are also pretty great that are actually
0: pushing for more awareness among Black people, Black women, about egg freezing, because you're right. We've come up with every excuse not to freeze our eggs, yet we're one of the primary groups of women who tend to get to age 40 and are still unmarried, never married, um, and no children. And so we actually are the ones who really need to hear about egg freezing, and so Egg freezing, yes, it can be costly but it's not ridiculously expensive. But what I tell most people is X freezing typically costs no more than about six thousand dollars US. For- those listening in the united states now that at first can sound expensive but if you really think of a really fun vacation to cancun and a fun vacation to hawaii it's two or three vacations and then your eggs are frozen and you can use them until like in my clinic a patient can use her egg carry her babies until age 58 and so it's a really awesome long-term investment right and so i like people have to think about it as an investment. It's an investment in your future, but it has to be done correctly. Right. So this is the one thing I want to make sure everybody hears. I want people to know that every doctor out there can freeze eggs, but not everybody can thaw them. And this is what you need to know. Because freezing your eggs, anybody can freeze them, but you want to make sure that the people who are freezing your eggs already have proven track records of spying eggs and getting babies from them, right. if they cannot tell you that they've had pregnancies and babies born,
1: don't freeze your eggs there yet. They're right. not ready for prime time. Right. Right! Wow! Oh my gosh! You are dropping jewels, Dr. Cindy. <laughs> I am so excited you are here, because these are things that, again, we're you know in my head we focus a lot on mental health and fertility issues affect our mental health. Mm-hmm. Being a woman it's that you're, you're you're 40, you're unmarried, no kids, and then every time you go to the family reunion, every time around dance, so you ain't making no children. You ain't had no man yet. You ain't getting no boyfriend. You ain't bringing nobody. Like, so what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you done a great job in society and
0: a feminist culture and I'm a feminist to so a really. but we've done a great job at telling women you can do anything anytime in your life you can be anything anytime and that's mostly true except for our eggs so you can look great you may be 50 but you still look 35 you know
1: but your eggs is 50 years plus 4 months but the
0: eggs are 50 and a 50 year old egg has a less than 1% chance of yielding a baby less than 1% wow Wow. Yeah. So, so that's why you the, should exactly, freeze you your eat.
1: eggs in your, 30, your 20s and 30s. And then at at 50, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I'll use the eggs that I froze in my 20s or 30s, correct? Exactly. And your chances of pregnancy will still be your chances they would have been when you were
0: 20 or 30. Because wow. a lot of it has to do with eggs. You know, we know this for a fact. women who are in their 50s, do use what we call donor eggs, meaning eggs that come from younger women. So I have patients in their 50s who are getting pregnant right now. They finally decided they're ready to become mothers, where their life is in a place where they can become a mom, and that's how we help them. We use frozen donor eggs
1: to achieve pregnancy, because so they can carry a pregnancy even after menopause. I don't know how I feel about donut eggs, yo. I want my own eggs. <laughs> I don't know how I feel yeah. about But I understand yes. that some women, these are the options that they need, and it's available, and there's no it's shame available. in that. There is absolutely no shame. Dr. Cindy, let's talk a little bit about shame. We're wrapping up in a little bit, but PCOS, mm-hmm. ectopic pregnancies, yes, and abortions. But so PCOS, I want everyone to hear listening to hear
0: this because for decades the wrong message has gone out. So there are a lot of women out there who have PCOS who have heard erroneously so from doctors that PCOS means they cannot have children. That is not true. I repeat, that is not true. PCOS actually means you've got tons of eggs. You actually have more eggs than the average person your age. What's not happening usually is you're not releasing your eggs regularly. So you need help to release the eggs. Wow. But you are not someone who can never have children. And I'd like to emphasize that because for too long, the wrong message got out there. I'm constantly having to re-educate my patients to let them know, PCOS is not a barren state, so to speak. It means they need help. But you've got lots of eggs in there, sister. Even in your late 40s, women with PCOS tend to still have eggs compared to their compatriots who don't have
1: PCOS. Ectopic pregnancies. There are a lot of women who've been so excited to be pregnant and they find out that it's ectopic.
0: Yes. So ectopic pregnancy is actually a life or death situation, and Mm. that's something that you want to find out early. Um, It's part of the reason why we do that ink test that we talked about, that HSG, because ectopic pregnancy means a pregnancy not growing inside the womb where it's supposed to. And the majority of those pregnancies, when they're not growing in the womb, they're growing in the fallopian tube Mm. because the fallopian tube has some scarring. And so the number one reason, number top two reasons why people may have scarring of the fallopian tubes would either be history of infection, like we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. or something called endometriosis. So if you have any of those histories, you definitely should be getting seen if you have a positive pregnancy test, and ideally within the first four to five weeks of the pregnancy, so that your doctor can confirm that it's growing in the right place. If it's not growing in the right place, it, it's not going to suddenly make its way down there. It's stuck and it's implanted somewhere else, and eventually it'll outgrow its face, and that would become an emergency that could cost you a life if someone doesn't catch a brainer or if the right people to operate on you aren't available. And wow. so I've taken out as much as two liters of blood from oh. somebody's belly after Whoa. the ectopic has ruptured. Yeah. And so this is truly an emergency. It's an emergency that is always at the top of your doctor's mind when they hear you complain of pain, particularly in early pregnancy. But it's also why we advocate nowadays for at least one ultrasound in the first trimester to locate your pregnancy. That's really the big reason.
1: There are a lot of women for various reasons who have had to have abortions. And Mm -hmm. later on in life, when they decide that they do want to have children, they're having difficulty. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about that a bit. There's a lot of shame that goes with that. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. That goes Um, with that? I
0: encounter this about two or three times per month, which is there's a lot of blame. And so for a lot of patients who show up with infertility and happen to have a history of having to terminate a pregnancy... The truth is all this guilt and blame is there. Many times it's coming from a place where they've decided that this is their punishment for Mm. having had an abortion before. And so I do spend a lot of time explaining to my patients that that is not the case. Infertility today is in no way because you had a termination. It is not God punishing you. It's not you paying a price for a decision that you made at a different time in your life. And I really want whoever is listening to this to know that, right? And infertility has many, many factors. Very, very, very unlikely it's due to a history of an abortion. And so I really encourage patients. I encourage them to talk to counselors, therapists, to work their way through, because yes, there is a tremendous amount of guilt that many people, many women feel. I have women who come in and they they're infertile, but they also the first thing they tell the person checking them in is tell the doctor not to mention my abortion because my husband doesn't know. I had oh. one, and so she's sitting there with extra hurt extra guilt because not only. Is she hurting over not getting pregnant now? She's hurting over determination and she's hurting over this secret that she has to keep from her partner. And so I, of course, I honor and I recognize that. I do not mention it if my patients ask me not to bring it up. Um, I wouldn't mention it in front of a partner. But I do try to find some time where she and I can talk so I can help her unburden herself Because we know that while stress itself doesn't cause infertility, stress can worsen infertility because it can cause your stress hormone cortisol to go up. And if that goes up, then ovulation, egg release gets compromised. So I want her to be as unburdened as she possibly can be so that her system isn't depressed because of her stress.
1: to Cindy, you, I love you. (laughs) Someone (laughs) needed to hear this right now, and I talk a lot about how this podcast is a healing podcast, and yeah, we joke about a lot of things, but someone needed to hear that. For the woman who has been pregnant a few times and miscarried many, what do you say to her? You know, to her, I want to first tell
0: her that her losses are real. I say that because a lot of people out there try to qualify grief and loss, and they try to tell women, yeah, but you're lucky it happened when you were only six weeks. You know, it happened when you were only eight weeks. You know, I know someone who miscarried when she was, you know, 25 weeks. A miscarriage, a loss is a loss. Whether it's at six weeks, whether it's at 24 weeks, whether it's after birth, they grieve, they mm-hmm. feel pain, they feel hurt. What I would say to a patient is to be proactive in this then. If you've had two or more losses, don't wait around. Don't wait for a doctor to assess you a third, fourth, fifth time. If you've had two or more losses, you really should be advocating to see a doctor like myself, right. a fertility specialist, right. because there's likely something underlying that's causing this loss. And many times we can identify it. So it may be autoimmune. It could be fibroids in the cavity of the womb. It could be something having to do with how your womb formed back when you were in the belly. And so it has something in there that's preventing proper growth or leading to the baby being pushed out too early. A lot of those things we can fix surgically, and then you go on to have a baby. The other thing I want to say though, is for the vast majority of women who have, we call this recurrent miscarriage or pregnancy loss, you will go on to have a baby. You will go on to be a parent. And Mm. so I like to emphasize that part too, because by the time those patients have come to see a doctor like me, they've lost hope, right? They've been so traumatized. The grief is so much. They've had that hope so many times and then miscarried, lost the pregnancy that they've given up. You know, I have one patient currently, she just had her baby shower. She oh, had wow. already had 13 miscarriages oh, before she God. met me. Wow. Yeah. One, three, 13 miscarriages. Wow. And so. And now she's on her way to delivering her
1: own baby. This woman so all the way from Boston. You, you don't only have a green thumb; you got baby hands. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it's to have a baby, but you've got to see the right
0: person, and then again, you've got to feel that connection, and it has to be someone who's thorough and who understands this process, and therefore how to evaluate you and treat you equally. Because not everybody has the same cause for the miscarriage. So right. what may work for you, Jay, may not work for me. Right. So my, the doctor needs to
1: look at you and figure out what is your individual problem. Right. It's not cookie-cutter. Thank you for that. What advice do you have for daddies who are silently suffering with the loss of a child uh-huh. or their own infertility issues? Uh-huh. I think this is one where it's extremely full of
0: shame and guilt as well guys who have fertility issues or who are coping with recurrent miscarriage it it can manifest in different ways however you manifest though i want you to know and i want the female partners to know and any partner and family members to know he needs support yes just like you want to sit down with a woman and talk it out you should talk it out with him you know, acknowledge it. I'm so sorry for your loss. Right. Um, unfortunately, there are not a lot of support groups for guys. Right. Although, although, what I'm really happy about is I'm seeing more and more guys online who are talking about their infertility journey. So, for example, there are a couple Instagram pages that I follow and the male perspectives on wow. fertility, you know. And I think that's really helpful because I think that is our silence partner, our silent patient who's out there. There are a lot of guys. There are a lot of women, but there are a lot of male partners who are suffering in silence. He definitely can't tell his friends that he's not making sperm because he's worried, you know, we come from Trinidad and Tobago, and in Trinidad and Tobago, Macho it's man. culturally a joke that they tease men, right? They call right. it the blue boat. Right. Have you
1: heard of the blue boat? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then if you don't have Chiron at all, it's like, what's wrong with you? Something wrong with you? Yeah. You know, like, they, they have to tell you, you know, blue boat coming and text you. you know, Jesus, so you're you you not breeding you anybody. Dr. Cindy, <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing the shirts today. <laughs> so, it's... It, it,
0: <laughs> it's that cultural pressure and so they especially don't want to
1: talk about it. We're not laughing at you, okay guys? We're not laughing at you guys. We're just laughing at the fact that Dr. Cindy just said Okay. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> uh, Dr. Cindy, before I go, I mean like how many shoes do you have in your closet woman? <laughs> Oh, my
0: gosh. I cannot admit this
1: in public. Okay, (laughs) don't worry. You could just tell us. Nobody knows except the 54 countries. (laughs) The (laughs) real answer is that I have a
0: generous number.
1: A generous number. Such a politically correct answer to give. (laughs) Shout out to Mama Dukes. I absolutely follow your mom on Instagram. She's always throwing down in the kitchen. I'm like, I'm so inspired. I'm like, I'm I'm eating everything. Mama, what? Do you, do you, yeah. do you, do you get your cooking skill from mommy too? Like, did you pick that up from yeah, mama? I learned to, I learned to cook from my mom. I don't think I love to cook as much as my mom does. I mean, my mom, she if you let
0: her, she would cook from sunrise to sunset I and mean, into midnight. Like, <laughs> she, she would just keep
1: cooking. <laughs> Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to put in this episode summary, uh, Dr. Cindy's Nevada Fertility Institute link, so you can go directly to her if you want to have a consultation. Fly out to Vegas. Y'all be going out there to go and like fly out and, and win some money. Well, <laughs> go win some money, then go to her Fertility Institute. As uh, a matter of fact, just go. Go. It's always good to get a second opinion, and it's always good to talk to someone who you can trust, and she's proven today that we can trust her, that she is definitely an advocate for us and our health. Um, I'm definitely going to post uh, her Instagram link so you can check that out, as well as Mama Duke's Instagram, because that is <laughs> late, okay? <laughs> we are definitely going to put in the summary also some of these pages that Dr. Cindy has spoken about in regards to men supportive groups for men I want to make sure that you guys can go on on the summary and click on that but Dr. Cindy before you go you got a book coming out this September it's called the top five things every physician should have in their contract what yes yes I know that seems like a departure from fertility and so forth but it's
0: actually a big part of my advocacy so I strongly feel, and from my own experience, that physicians, particularly female physicians, especially physicians of color, Mm. we don't know what to ask for when Mm. it's time to get a job. And so in this book, I talk about the things you should definitely be including in your contract so that your quality of life is protected, your sanity (laughs) is protected, and your future Is recognizing the investment that you put into your training and your career. Because if you're not out there advocating for yourself, it is not uncommon to find solutions say, oh, yeah, but, you know, the first job, you expect the first job to be bad. And so this is targeted at the ones who are finishing training, those early in their career. I'm pretty sure a lot of late career doctors will also find a lot of benefit and value from it,
1: but it's especially for those who are just about to approach their plans for contracts. Right, and especially when women are historically getting about seventy cents to the dollar, but women yep. of color are getting sixty cents to the dollar. You want to make sure mm-hmm. that you are getting paid your dues, because exactly. medical school and ain't it, free <laughs> and it ain't cheap. And it is. And in order to know how to get paid, you gotta know
0: what you're worth. Right. Part right. of why we don't know that we're being paid fifty percent because it does happen in medicine. The reason why we don't know is because we don't know what the going rate is we don't even know what we're supposed
1: to be paid right i appreciate you dr cindy before you go tell us a little bit about your upcoming podcast girl powered success and survival yes so this is a podcast that aimed at talking to women and girls around the
0: world and the first is really just to highlight all the different career opportunities that are out there you know Jay you and I talked about it and growing up in the Caribbean for example there are certain careers we didn't even know existed far more that women did and so that's really something that I'm going to be doing is we're talking to different uh, people career professionals and it spans everything even caregivers how did you arrive on this? What training did it need, if not any? How how did you know that you could even do this? Right. And so that's the sort of thing we'll talk about in that podcast. I hope people tune in. It's launching on September 3rd. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) yeah, it's really just letting people know all about the opportunities that are out there, how you can get there no matter where you are in the world. You meet women from all over the world doing amazing things that some of us didn't even know were possible far more could be turned into a career. In, in My Head
1: Have you had a difficult pregnancy? Have you had a miscarriage? Have you experienced infertility? Have you experienced a hard time in getting and staying pregnant? We see you. Share your fertility and pregnancy story with us using the official hashtag, HeadWithJB. Let me know, have you felt the pressure of the public and family to have a child? Come on, share your stories. Use the hashtag, HeadWithJB, to get in on the conversation on social media. So what's playing in my head? Well, listen, we've been, like, putting you through the emotional ringers of this episode from highs and lows and just like laughter and tears. I know some of you have shed a tear. So here's what much love goes out to Dr. Cindy M. Duke. Uh, This is the last time I'm going to say it. She is the esteemed Big sister of Winston Duke, a.k.a. M'Baku of Black Panther. With that said, how about we just throw in something from the original soundtrack of Black Panther? Shout out to Kendrick Lamar and SZA with their big hit, All the Stars. You are a phenomenal force, Dr. Cindy M. Duke. I appreciate you, I applaud you, I esteem you so highly. I thank you so much, Sister of the Soil. You are doing an amazing work in your community, in this world, for your people, while flying your TNT flag high. Thank you so much, Dr. Cindy M. Duke. You are amazing, and I'm so grateful that you took time out of your very busy schedule to talk to us right here On In My Head. Dr. Cindy M. P. Duke is a founder and medical director at Nevada At the Nevada Fertility Institute. She is the founder and medical director at the Nevada Fertility Institute. NFI was founded to provide resident... This is the last fucking shot, and whatever happens here, that's it, because I'm out this bitch. I'm tired. Okay, hold on.